This is Mike Roth. Welcome to the Open Forum in the Villages podcast. In this show, we're going to talk to leaders in the community, leaders of clubs, and interesting folks who live here in the villages to give perspective of what's happening here in the villages and information that I think all villagers should have. We hope to add a new episode most Fridays at 9 o'clock. We are making a change soon. All of our shows will be distributed by a single podcast syndicator, Buzzsprout, both the old shows and the new show. We are also changing our subscription plans. Now you will be a supporter by simply making a subscription, subscribing via Buzzsprout. You can make a contribution of any amount that you'd like. We'd suggest $3 a month. If that's too much for your budget, you can pay less or If you're really enjoying what we're doing and want to see us continue, you can pay more. This is going to be a subscriber-supported podcast. We are making this conversion to make it easier for everybody. And all of the subscriber-only episodes that were available on Apple Podcasts will now be converted to the Buzzsprout channel, and everyone can go ahead and listen to those. This is Mike Roth on Open Forum in the Villages. I'm here today with Eric Honor. Eric, thanks for joining me. Oh, glad to be here. Glad to have the opportunity to talk with you. Good. Eric, I always like to start the shows with a slight joke for my grandson, Evan. Eric, did you hear about the new restaurant that opened up in the Villages? No, I don't think I've seen it. Yeah, it's called Karma. Karma. Yes. Do you know why it's called Karma? Uh, because people like it? No, there's no menu but you get what you deserve. Oh. Okay. Let me tell you folks in the audience a little bit about Eric. Eric is an iconoclast, polymath, and an author. Dr. Honor has been a U.S. Navy pilot, an international leader in a systems engineering, and successful entrepreneur. He holds a PhD from the University of South Australia. Docs led teams of up to 50 people to build complex systems. He's taught nearly 500 short courses in complex system development. Doc's, Doc Honors Doc Honors short story, Fishing Hands, won a gold award in the 2022 contest for the Florida Writers Association. Doc was born on Guam, and he's lived in 34 different places. Wow. Yeah, you're a real Navy guy living in 34 different places. Exactly. I See, I have to tell people that because here in the villages, everybody asks, where are you from? Okay. And, and I don't have an answer for that. Uh, America. That's a good answer. Exactly. Right. Okay. So let's start with the introduction in the bio where you want it to be described as an iconoclast. Tell people what that really means. An iconoclast is somebody who uh, who doesn't buy into the established wisdom that other people are saying and questions that and, and looks for the truth that might lie underneath it. Okay. And, and what is a polymath? A polymath has nothing to do with mathematics. A polymath is somebody who's conversant in lots of different disciplines. And I have uh, designed electronics. I've written software. I have been a manager of people. I've been an entrepreneur. I've done so many different things in my life and managed to be successful at them that, uh, yeah, I think I fit the definition of a polymath. Oh, okay. I've done a lot of different things in my life as well. I've owned my own companies, been an entrepreneur, been been an employee of Fortune 1000 companies, been the number one salesman in a multi-billion dollar company. So we've had some similarities there. Yeah, I think so. I I started life as an engineer in in college, an electrical engineer, and the world's a much better place since I never worked a day in my career as an electrical engineer. Uh, one of the next folks I'm trying to get on the show is the head of uh, Yang Shen, who is the head of the 
hands-on computer club here in the villages. Have you ever run into him? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. But that would be interesting. Yeah, it meets the like the third Tuesday night of the month over at Rohan, working with hand small computers, Adrenos, uh, ESP thirty twos, and Raspberry Pis. <laughs> I say that with a frown because before I moved down to the villages, I was looking online for cheap computers, and I found this Raspberry Pi for 30 bucks, And I said, gee, that's a great price compared to the $1,000 IBM PCs. And then I found out it was programmed in some strange languages. <laughs> I, I, once had, I once had a chipset for an Intel 8080. Mm-hmm. And by a chipset, I mean you've got the electronic chips, but nothing's hooked up together. And they came in a package mm -hmm. while I was teaching at the Naval Academy. And as an instructor there, I got this package for free. And I had this dream of building my own computer. This was before personal computers really became purchasable and never quite fulfilled that dream. Yeah, that chipset just kind of languished on the shelf. In, in that time frame, we were buying and reselling IBM PCs. Uh, compacts, and I remember having a, a set of BIOS chips that were necessary. <laughs> right, yep. And then we had the old NEC copycat chips, that subject of a long lawsuit, which NEC lost to uh, Intel. So let's talk a little bit about your writing, okay? Why don't you tell us about the books that you have written so far? Uh, books, it's only one so far, but I have two more on the way. Okay. Uh, the, my first novel was published about a month ago, and uh, its uh, title of it is Not Like Us. It's available on Amazon. Mm -hmm. and, and and imagine imagine a time 900 years from now when when humanity has reached the stars and humans have colonized 16 different worlds out there, but humanity doesn't change. And so they're destroying their worlds one by one. And there's only three left. Hmm. And this story takes place on one of those worlds that's in its last stages in which Jake Palatin lives in a country that is totally socialist, tells him everything he has to do. And poor Jake has had to build an antimatter bomb that he hates that's about to be used in a global war that's probably going to destroy the entire planet like so many other planets before it. And then he meets... Zofia, a gorgeous woman who has access to a technology that will solve the way humanity works with humanity. And, uh, but the problem is they can't build it where they are because of the socialist country they're in. And so they have to escape from all the evil leaders of the country and find a place where they can build this technology. That's what the book's about. Okay. So, not a science fiction book, is it? Oh, I, no. Yes, it is. Very much a science it's, fiction book. It should, it should sound like one by, by this time. Okay. What led you to write th this book? Well, I, I have read a lot of science fiction in my life, and uh, starting with uh, Robert Heinlein and Isaac Asimov and classic stories of science fiction. And, and I was, I've been struck many times by the fact that science fiction authors tend to use a very common trope that's a, a scene, an idea, uh, they use a very common trope of a world that is cohesive. Things like the world of Dune, Arrakis, that's all a desert. Or the world of Trantor, that's all a city. Or the Dorsi, that are all mercenaries. And I think to myself, that's not the way worlds are going to be, even in the future. That's not the way our world is. People fragment, people fractionate. And so I wanted a world where people were different on the world and had conflicts with each other in the world. And as soon as I started thinking about that and extending that thought, I realized, well, if the future is like that, then these worlds are going to have the same problems we have today. And with new technology and new weapons, they're probably going to destroy themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's what's led to the basis for the story. 
Mm-hmm. And what chose you to stay in the science fiction realm for writing? I love science fiction because I can uh, I, I can play with things that you can't play in ordinary fiction. Now we still have to write fiction. And that means that you have to have good characters. You have to write an opening that's interesting to people. You have to have a good plot arc that will move things along. You have to have a climax. You have to write all of those same things. All of that is necessary. But the nice thing about science fiction is that there's another element you get to do, and that's called world building. And you get to imagine things that don't exist today and somehow make them come real for the reader. And I love that challenge. I love trying to make these things that people have never seen before have make them come real and and the reason i particularly like it is because i can write the future to illuminate today and so i can put things in the future because humanity doesn't change and so the problems that we have today are going to be the same problems that they have in the future and that's so that's why i love science fiction i love to be able to see the problems of today in a different context okay And you mentioned earlier that in this new book of yours, socialism is a problem. Yes, it is. I I have envisioned a small world uh, with four countries on that small world. Mm -hmm. And one of the countries was the first country there. And it happened when the colonization ship landed. They had lived for dozens of years on a colony ship under the control of a captain a very strong-willed captain. Mm -hmm. And when they landed, they just continued the same strong control. And so that country became very totalitarian, very socialist. Now, what does that mean? If a country is pure socialist, then uh, everything is provided by the government. There is no money because Mm -hmm. there's nothing to buy. I mean, your clothes are provided by the government. Food is provided by the government. Your housing is provided by the government. And even more, the government tells you everything that you have to do. They look at your aptitude scores and they say, well, you should be an engineer or you should be a waitress. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what you do for a life avocation is assigned to you by the government. Is it is it okay if I ask you sure. a couple of questions about the book? First, maybe our readers are interested in how long is the book? Oh, the book is, uh, it's about 300 pages. Okay, so that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. When the ship first lands on this world, how many human beings are on the ship? I don't know. <laughs> that's a bit of background that I've not actually written down. Okay, so uh, this, how- this story takes place 400 years after they've landed oh, on the world. 400 years afterwards. Right. And so the socialist country has lasted for 400 years, which no socialist country has ever done here on earth. Mm, no, but they managed to do that. Mm-hmm. And how many ships actually landed on the planet to establish the colony? Were there any beyond the first? Nope. One. Just one. One colony ship founded the planet. Now, in this future time, there is space travel between the worlds, and so ships do move between the worlds, but I envision it taking uh, months to get between worlds. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a common occurrence to have ships landing. So what did you envision living under socialism would be like? Well, that's a very interesting question. I have been in Israel during the Intifada mm-hmm. when when people were doing terrorist acts and blowing things up three times a week. I have been there doing business. And I remember one morning I was in my hotel in Jerusalem on the 17th floor of a high-rise hotel, and I opened up the television and there was news about a bomb 
bus bombing that had happened just that morning, 20 minutes before. And I went out on the balcony of my hotel room and I looked out at the city around me and this bus bombing, I could see some smoke off in the distance. But all around me, traffic was moving. People were walking, going to work. Everybody was headed to their jobs. Nobody had changed their lives, even though this terrible event had happened. And so I envision in this socialist country something similar. People live under it. Even though it's very oppressive, they don't know it's all that oppressive because it's all they know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what would it be like, in your opinion, to live under a pure democracy? Well, that's the second country on this world. Second country. The second country. And Jake and Sophia, uh, once they figure out that they've got something that could possibly really help humanity, they realize they can't build it in this socialist country. And so they have to escape to an adjacent country that's across a little uh, ocean channel. And in this adjacent country, they have a pure democracy. So how did that happen, that it started socialist well, I have that background information. I, I write down a lot of background that actually isn't written in the book that these people, these people realized about 200 years before that they didn't like living under the socialism. And so they, uh, they rebelled and they formed their own country on this other continent. You said that there were four countries on there that. There were four land. countries, yes. What are the other two? The third country is a theocracy living under the control of a church. And mm. the fourth country is a bunch of uh, people who just wanted to get away from all of those conflicts, and they moved up to some northern islands, and they live a tribal society and fish. But they still have technology. They just uh, live in a more tribal-oriented. But back to that pure democracy, I wanted to make this point that we think in the United States that we live in a democracy, but we don't. Uh, the United States is a republic. It's a representative republic. In a pure democracy, it's really never happened on earth other than in very small commune-style groups. A pure democracy, everybody votes on everything. And so in the second country, they use uh, implants that communicate to the uh, internet, and they can vote uh, on a moment's notice, and the governors of the country put the vote up to the entire population, and in 10 minutes, they hold a vote, and they decide a new law. Mm -hmm. And they can do that multiple times a day. Sounds, and, sounds like a good thing. Uh, yeah, until you consider how frequently the laws change. Laws change. And, and information exchange is not perfect, nor is people's memory, nor people's ability to comprehend. So people are voting on things that they don't understand. Exactly so. And so, uh, and so people are voting on things they don't understand. And that means that the votes are swayed by popular opinion. And that means that leading up to the vote, there will be agitators in the street, uh, expounding the virtues of one method or the other method and fights in the street over it. And, uh, and so living under this pure democracy in a large country would actually be pretty oppressive as well, because you'd have to constantly be watching for these conflicts that are going on in the streets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, does that kind of socioeconomic background that you put into the science fiction book come from being a Navy pilot? Not so much from being a Navy pilot as from the fact that I have traveled to 32 different countries. I've seen the way people live outside of the United States. Mm -hmm, I've mm -hmm. seen the differences in culture. I've been sometimes deeply surprised by differences in culture. Mm -hmm. We have a little time on this, and I'll tell this one again. I, I've... I, 
you mentioned that my doctorate is from South Australia, but I've also been to Singapore and uh, and Europe and Israel and many other places. And in Israel, I was interacting with a student. I was teaching a course, and the student came up to me with a question, and he started asking me a question. And I, I was waiting patiently for him to stop so that I could answer his question, mm. formulating an answer in my head, but he kept on going. Kept on talking. He kept on talking. Yeah. And, and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and he's being very rude because he keeps on talking and he doesn't give me a chance to answer. Well, you were in Israel. Right. And, and I finally realized slapping my own forehead that I was the one being rude because in Israel, they expect you to ride on top of their question with your answer, to interrupt the other person and to answer it very forcefully. And the fact that I wasn't answering, that I was waiting patiently, was telling him that I didn't care about his question. Cultural issues like that make a huge difference in the way people interact. And that's why the book, the title of the book is Not Like Us, because these different countries have such different cultures. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought of selling the book to Hollywood? Well, I've thought of it, but it's sort of a dream. I wouldn't have the faintest idea how to contact the right people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And your book was published just a couple of weeks ago? About a month ago. About a month ago. It's a self-published book. Yes. Available on Amazon. Yes, it is. Is it available anyplace else? No. You can get it on Amazon and you can get it in a paperback or a Kindle copy or even a hard copy if you if you really prefer hard copy books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I and I also have I also have two more books on the way. Good. Before I talk to you about that, I, I'll tell you my favorite question for an author is, are you thinking of putting it on Audible? I'm thinking of it. I'm not really sure how to do that yet. Mm-hmm. And we actually, in my writing group here in the villages, we have somebody coming in in two weeks specifically to do that. Uh, uh, and he's going to talk to us for an hour or so about how do you do audible narrations for your book. And uh, so I'll learn something then. Right. We had an author on uh, Mark Newhouse a few weeks ago with his uh, book about the uh, Holocaust and Lutz Poland. And actually, I started to read it before the show, and it was, it was so depressing that I got maybe halfway, three quarters of the way through the first of three volumes. And then I put it down, and I said, did you put it on Audible? And he said, yes, he hired a very good actor. And he actually did hire a very good actor, because I listened to all three volumes on Audible. Uh-huh. And that was terribly listenable and easy to get through. I mean, that, uh, good that, plan. that's a magic silver bullet because you know none of us are getting any younger and a lot of seniors don't read because they can't see that well you know we see a lot mm-hmm. of ads for hearing aids in the newspapers here in the villages yes at least five full pages a day uh but seeing uh is a major requirement for for reading but, uh, yeah it's sort of sort of necessary yeah well there are some people who don't see and read those people are blind and they're reading it in braille and there's nothing against them but you don't have a braille version of your book but an audible version is listenable by everyone with and without hearing aid and i think that's really an important solution on a go forward basis because you can listen to it any place it's like these podcasts people listen to my podcasts in their cars they listen to it in their golf cart they listen to it uh, while they're exercising at the gyms Uh, you have to uh, go with the flow (laughs) understand and and you mentioned mark newhouse in his book uh, uh, and books three books that Mm -hmm. make up a trilogy on the uh, uh, the devil's bookkeepers and i'm very familiar with them and good friends with mark and marvelous set of books uh, compelling story yeah, compelling story, and uh, I like the way he put it together in the three volumes. Put the actor who 
read the books, did an absolutely flawless job. Oh, good. You know? Good. And I think many more of the good books that are self-published need to be turned into portable books. Well, I will certainly be looking into it. And as I said, I'll get some information here. And I'll, I'll also talk with Mark about what he did. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I could always read a read a book and put it into it. Right. Uh, an audible format. Anyway, listeners can find the book on Amazon and on Kindle, okay? You said you have two more books that are about ready to come out. Yes, indeed. Uh, within the next couple of months, I'll have an anthology of short stories. Science fiction short stories? All science fiction stor- short stories, and they're all placed on this same world of Verdant. Mm-hmm. The title of it is Tales of Verdant. And it, uh, the stories give an idea of what life is like for people who are on a world that is nearing its end. Mm-hmm. And Which what a- may not be too different than where we are on Earth right now. Hmm. I'm not that pessimistic. Okay, good. But what about the third book? The third book is a sequel to Not Like Us. And a tentative title on it is uh, Unchained Faith. And it's going to be placed in that third country, the theocracy, mm-hmm. and carry on some of the same themes and a few of the same characters from the first book, but introduced a whole new bunch of characters and a new set of conflicts that are also still based in the fact that these countries are uh, in conflict with each other. Sounds just like a set of Netflix movies to me. Oh, yes. And I have a third one in mind also, but it's just uh, conceptualized at this point. Well, and, and how long did it take you to write the first book? It took me a little under a year to write the first book. Oh. It was just about a year ago that I had one of my short stories in my writing group. And the leader of the writing group, a fine gentleman named Phil Walker, looked at the story and he says, Eric, this story's gotten too big. It's got too many themes in it. You should turn this into a novel. And that was it. But let me change gears here for you for a minute. Recently, there's this open AI or artificial intelligence called ChatGBT. Have you looked at that at all? I have not looked at it, but I've heard of it and I've seen some of the results from it. Yes, I've I've seen some results uh, last week at the podcasting convention where one fellow named uh, Larry Roberts gave a theme to ChatGBT and told it to write a children's book. And ChatGBT wrote an 18-page children's book. And then, wow. he t- then he told their drawing program to draw three squirrels and called Dolly, D-O-L-E, Dolly, created three baby squirrels. And the short story was the story of two pa- squirrel parents get divorced and co-parenting their three babies in adjacent trees. Interesting. All done, all done by the AI. All done by the AI. They right. gave, he gave the AI about that much information, and the AI wrote an 18-page book. I'm actually working one of the short stories that will be in this anthology, uh, the next to the last one, I'm halfway through writing it right now, is about programming with an AI. And one of the characters will be learning to program with an AI, uh, actually programming an impossible problem, and that will be part of the lesson that she has to learn. An interesting side note on this open AI uh, chat GBT is that it will program Arduino mini computers. You have to tell it what, what devices you're using and what pins you're assigning to them. And then it writes all the code. Okay. Almost flawlessly or flawlessly. But it, that, that's the direction we're going. Uh, science, I remember as a, a new person in sales at the Burroughs Corporation, having to write programs and machine code if I wanted to get the computers I sold delivered so I could right. get paid. But 
that was a long time ago, and uh, ChatGBT seems to be changing the world. Uh, I want to thank you for being on the show. And by the way, if anyone wants to get a hold of you about your science uh, fiction books, how should they do that, Eric? Uh, they can find me on the web at Doc Honor Books. Honor is spelled the British way, H-O-N-O-U-R, DocHonorBooks.com. Good. Eric, thanks for being with us today. And I'm sure our listeners are going to go run out and buy 100 copies each of your book. Well, that would be good. Okay. Thank you. We are making a change soon. All of our shows will be distributed by a single podcast syndicator, Buzzsprout, both the old shows and the new show. We are also changing our subscription plans. Now you will be a supporter by simply making a subscription, subscribing via Buzzsprout. You can make a contribution of any amount that you'd like. We'd suggest $3 a month. If that's too much for your budget, you can pay less or if you're really enjoying what we're doing and want to see us continue, you can pay more. This is going to be a subscriber-supported podcast. We are making this conversion to make it easier for everybody. And all of the subscriber-only episodes that were available on Apple Podcasts will now be converted to the Buzzsprout channel, and everyone can go ahead and listen to those. Remember, our next episode will air live Friday at 9 a.m., or should I say pre-recorded, but that's when it'll be released on our regular subscriptions. Bonus subscribers can get early access to episodes. Should you want to become a sponsor of the show, contact me at MikeRoth at RothVoice.com. If you know someone that you think should be on the show, send me an email at Mike at RothVoice.com. I want to thank everyone for listening to the show. The content of the show is copyright by Roth Voice 2022, all rights reserved.